Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Right now, I am getting all of my garden beds ready for the gardening season. I know many of you are doing the same thing right alongside me. Or if you're in a warmer climate, your beds may need a refresh before moving on to your next round of planting, you lucky dogs. In either case, you know I'm going to recommend the use of compost. Not only is compost great at adding nutrients and increasing the soil organic matter, it's a great way to feed the microbiota in the soil that make those nutrients available to your plants, and it can act as a fabulous mulch for keeping weeds out. We have literal dump truck loads delivered to the farm each year because we just can't create enough of our own. But that doesn't mean I don't have a compost pile. I've had a compost pile ever since I started my first garden like 18-ish years ago. I haven't always been super successful with getting the piles to actually compost because at first I was just tossing stuff into the pile and letting it sit and do its thing without giving it any thought or effort. Yes, eventually that stuff would break down into something usable, but once I paid just a little bit of attention to what I was doing with it, a little effort went a long way toward making the process more efficient and much more beneficial to my garden. On today's episode, I'm going to walk you through the bare minimum of what you need to make a successful compost pile, and then the little extra things that can catapult your efforts into compost stardom. We'll talk the ingredients, ratios, air, moisture, and do's and don'ts of composting. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So let's review a little bit deeper some of the benefits of compost. First of all, it enriches your soil. It helps retain moisture. Um, It reduces your need for fertilizers because you're adding those nutrients back in on a regular basis. It encourages the production of that beneficial bacteria and the fungi that break down organic matter to create that wonderful humus that we want. And using compost as a mulch, not only keeps weeds down during the current season, but leaving it in place in the off season allows those nutrients to break down slowly and further add to the soil. So you're constantly building that soil texture and the nutrient content of the soil and the soil organic matter. Another thing compost does or composting does is it reduces methane emissions from landfills. And that's not something that's talked about quite as frequently, but it is absolutely an essential benefit of composting. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, the average American produces about 4.4 pounds or 2 kilograms of garbage a day. 
That's 1,600 pounds or 726 kilograms a year. And approximately 75% of that waste is organic material. That means that 1,200 pounds of the 1,600 pounds of waste that each person in this country produces could be composted. That's huge. And I will absolutely be the first to admit that I have been remiss in keeping up with my composting and my waste reduction game over the past year or so. But after refreshing my research on this, I am so totally on it again. And here's why it's so important to divert those materials from the landfills. For organic materials to quickly decompose, it needs oxygen. With free-flowing oxygen, food and other organic waste will decompose fairly quickly. But without oxygen, decomposition can take years or even decades for that same organic material to break down. And landfills typically have very little oxygen flow. Your garbage is tied up in plastic bags. It's tossed into a pile surrounded by mounds and mounds of more plastic bags. And then it's covered by layers of other waste and then eventually buried. There is very little oxygen in that scenario. The organic waste in landfills doesn't have the air circulation that's needed to quickly break it down. It does eventually decompose, but it takes much, much longer. And that type of decomposition is called anaerobic, meaning without oxygen or with very little oxygen. Anaerobic decomposition produces methane gas. Aha, methane gas, that greenhouse gas that we know is bad for the environment and it's really bad for our ozone layer. And since it takes so long for that decomposition to happen in a landfill, the food and the other organic waste just keeps on producing that methane for years. One resource that I found said that a single head of lettuce can take up to 25 years to decompose in a landfill. And it's giving off harmful methane gas the whole time. Okay, let's think about this. I, for one, have had a single head of lettuce decompose in the back of my refrigerator drawer much more quickly than 25 years. Don't lie. You know you've had the same thing happen. But think about it. How is it that that same head of lettuce can go into a landfill and sit around for over two decades when it can sit in the back of the refrigerator drawer and be completely liquefied in a matter of 10 to 12 days? Well, it's because it's getting air at the back of our refrigerator. The decomposition that occurs in compost or in your refrigerator drawer <laughs> is aerobic decomposition. Aerobic decomposition means lots of oxygen is present. So with good oxygen flow, food waste is broken down quickly. Also, that oxygen means that the decomposition produces carbon dioxide instead of methane. Now, of course, carbon dioxide is still a greenhouse gas, and you know all the resources that went into producing that food is still being wasted. So yes, our first goal should always be to reduce food waste, but there's always gonna be some scraps left, even for the best of us. This is where the compost pile becomes that final step to close the loop of production. Use the food scraps and the yard wastes and the other organic items that are refuse to make more food in your own garden. So that very first compost pile that I created the very first year I gardened 
was a total mess. <laughs> I was taking my kitchen scraps, my coffee grounds, whatever leaves we raked up in the backyard, the garden weeds, um, any of my spent plants from the garden, and then tossing them in with like newspapers and junk papers from the kids' schoolwork and stuff from my office that I would shred up and toss in. It was a literal pile in the corner of the garden area in the corner of my backyard. It attracted bugs. It sometimes smelled, <laughs> but it was in a corner that nobody really went into but me, so it really wasn't that big of a deal. Now, thankfully, it didn't attract like raccoons or anything, but that would certainly be a possibility from the way I was doing things. That is what I would consider a very passive compost pile. It broke down eventually and became something usable, but a few years later, I decided to take a closer look at what makes a good compost pile. And with just a few tweaks, I was able to make the compost pile really work for me. I really haven't changed much about how I compost since making those first few changes. My compost style is still very passive, so trust me when I say composting doesn't have to be a lot of work and it doesn't have to be fancy. There are fancy solutions that can make it even easier and more attractive, especially if you're in a suburban or an urban setting, and we'll talk about those options for sure, but let's start with what we always start with, the basics. So let's talk the ingredients of your compost pile. All composting requires four basic ingredients, carbon, nitrogen, water, and oxygen, okay? So where do we get these ingredients? We call the carbon ingredients browns. This includes materials like your dead leaves, branches, twigs, hay, straw, any of your paper products, anything that is dry and fibrous um, or that's kind of hard and bulky is gonna take up space in the compost pile. This stuff is a little bit more resistant to decay. Consider the browns the carbon, the slow burning fuel for your compost pile. It provides energy for the bacteria and the fungi to do their work in your pile. It also provides good texture. It provides those air pockets so that oxygen can get to those microorganisms. The browns are what provide the structure for the humus that we want to develop, and that's the final product that we really want to add into the garden. The browns that you're adding to your pile, if you're using cardboard and other paper products, you really want to be sort of shredding them up. They may not be a great food source, but it does provide structure, and it also keeps that stuff out of the landfill. Just try to keep the ratio of these items a little bit lower than that of the other browns that you've got. Um, you also want to preferably shred the dried leaves so they don't get matted and it provides better airflow. This also goes for things like corn stalks or corn husks. You want to chop those up too. Any really big limbs and stuff, you also want to break those down a little bit. Um, another thing that falls into the browns category would be wood ash. Wood ashes are also high in potassium. So, I mean, we've talked about that before, potash. It's an essential nutrient for plant growth. This is why you want to put wood ashes in the compost pile instead of putting them straight into your garden bed. Because remember we talked about wood ash um, being very alkaline and so it can change the alkalinity of your garden soil if you're putting it straight into it. But if you put it in the compost pile, it actually would become more beneficial. So you wanna sift those ashes to get rid of any large pieces and then toss them in. Uh, you do not want to use coal ash. Coal ash has very large amounts of iron and sulfur, so you don't wanna use coal. You also wanna avoid using the charcoal from your barbecue. That stuff can um, resist decay for a very, very, very long time. 
to improve the decomposition of the browns, it's really good idea to chop them up, shred them, do what you can to pulverize them a little bit so that they do speed up their decomposition a little bit. But, you know, no matter how you get them in there, they're going to do the job. Now, on the opposite side of this, we have our nitrogen source. Those are our greens. So we've got our browns for carbon. We've got our greens for nitrogen. This includes things like grass clippings, your vegetable waste, your fruit scraps, uh, coffee grounds and the filters. These are soft materials. This is the fast burning, high octane fuel for your compost pile. These are the wet ingredients for lack of a better description. Where the, the browns are dry and hard and they take up space, the greens have a higher moisture content and they tend to kind of collapse quickly in the pile. Um, manure from farm animals is a classic greens ingredient. Things like rabbit manure, horses, goats, chickens, those are the most popular. Just about any herbivore you can use their manure in the compost pile. It's a great source of nitrogen um, and it's often mixed with bedding like straw or wood shavings. That also adds some of the carbon so you've got the browns and the greens going at the same time. Um, feathers are also a high nitrogen source of greens. Spent grains and hops fall into this category too. So if you're doing some home brewing or you know someone who is, the leftover sugars in the waste product of that brewing are great food for the microbes in your compost pile. Just spread them out thinly so they don't clump up to create an anaerobic condition um, and they will feed those microbes nicely. Um, breads and pasta are a green too, but just make sure that anytime you're adding food waste like this to your pile, you want to bury it into the pile to avoid any critters from helping themselves. Um, used potting soil is considered a green and it can be added to your compost pile. I always do this at the end of the season when I'm emptying pots and containers to sterilize them for the next season. The same thing goes for spent plants from the garden. A word of caution on both of these though, if you've had any sign of disease or you've had a heavy pest infestation, you may want to skip this step. If your compost pile doesn't get hot enough to kill the disease or the insect eggs, you'll just be adding that material right back into your garden again and continuing the cycle. Now, if you have a closely managed compost pile that is reaching the correct temperatures, which we'll talk about shortly, um, then go for it. And just be sure that these items end up in the middle of the hottest part of the pile. One other one to talk about is eggshells. These don't really fall into either the category of browns or greens, but they do add calcium to your compost, which of course is good for your plants. Uh, eggshells do compost best if they've been ground up or at least crushed before adding them to the pile. So the next ingredient would be water. Um, having the right amount of water is important for compost development. And that fourth ingredient is oxygen. And obviously we already talked about this. Oxygen is responsible for that aerobic breakdown. So let's talk about the ratios of these things, right? Your compost pile should have about equal amounts of browns and greens. So you should also be sort of alternating those layers of the organic materials and the different size kind of pieces. Remember, the brown materials are providing the carbon for your compost and the green materials provide the nitrogen. And then we're gonna add some water to provide the moisture to help break down that organic matter. And then the oxygen keeps the microorganisms functional and doing their part. This is why you hear people talk about watering and turning the compost pile. So how much water? 
Ideally, you want your compost moist but not dripping. Okay, a compost pile should be about 40 to 60 percent water, but this includes the water content of those green ingredients. So if you touch the compost and it has the wetness of like a wrung out sponge, then you're golden. But if it's bone dry, either you've got too much brown and not enough green, or you just need to water the pile down a little bit. You shouldn't have liquid running out the bottom of the pile, and there shouldn't be any kind of a smell either, other than some nice earthiness. A pile that's too wet or has too much green can start to smell a little bit like rotten eggs, and so that's your cue to kind of adjust things. Now, how much oxygen? Well, as much as you can give it. This is where turning your pile comes into play. Will it decompose without turning? Absolutely. Will it go faster if you do turn it? Absolutely. And turning your pile will keep the microbes in the center from running out of food and oxygen so they can keep doing their jobs. Plus, it prevents that higher nitrogen greens from becoming stagnant and start to stink. This is usually the main culprit of a stinky compost pile. Too much green, not enough oxygen. So you can go about turning your compost in a couple of different ways. Either mix the pile around every time you add fresh materials, or put a note on the calendar to flip it around every four to six weeks until it really starts to cook, or get yourself a tumbler or a barrel that can be turned or rolled every time you add something new. There's no hard and fast rule here because what your pile needs is going to depend on your green to brown ratio, how much moisture is already in the pile, and how big the pile is. Scientifically speaking, the oxygen level should ideally be 5%, but you have no way to measure that in a backyard setting. So after a while, you're going to be able to tell if the stuff in your pile is breaking down properly and adjust your actions from there. And a lot of this will depend on the type of system you use. And we'll talk all about the different systems you can choose from next week. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel any time. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so now the do's and don'ts. Let's quickly review the things that it's okay to put in your compost, and then we'll talk about the things that you shouldn't, plus, you know, a few of the maybes. So the do's, right? Let's start with the browns. 
dry leaves, twigs and branches, pine needles, straw, and hay, all excellent sources of carbon with varying degrees of how slowly they break down. Dried corn stalks and corn husks are also good, but should all be chopped up a little bit before being put into the pile. That's my dog groaning in the background. <laughs> um, wood ash is also a source of carbon and beneficial potassium. Remember to layer it in and alternate it with some greens. In fact, all of your browns should alternate with greens. That's the best way to do it. If you can stockpile your browns and stockpile them right near your compost, then you can add your greens and then add your browns um, alternatively instead of dumping everything in at once and then having to try to push it around later. Paper products like newspaper and cardboard, those are another brown and those should also be shredded or otherwise broken down before adding to the pile. And then one of the maybes in the brown category is dryer lint. If your clothes are mostly natural fibers, then absolutely put that lint in the compost pile. It helps add some good structure and it'll decompose nicely. Don't use your dryer lint though if you've got an abundance of polyester or other synthetics. These fibers will not break down and can actually harm the beneficial biota in your soil. Now let's talk about the greens. Any and all kitchen waste from unprepared fruits and vegetables, okay, cores, peels, stems, all of it. Um, green plants, grass clippings, and weeds that have not gone to seed are also good sources of nitrogen so long as they've not been sprayed with chemical pesticides or herbicides. You really do want to avoid any chemically treated material. The chemicals could kill off the composting microorganisms. Bent grains and hops, uh, coffee grounds and filters, we already talked about those. Seaweed, um, herbivore manure, feathers, hair, all greens that can be added to the compost pile as great nitrogen sources. And then of course, add those eggshells as too. So let's talk about a few more of those maybes in the compost pile. I already mentioned the dryer lint. Another one is tea bags. Unfortunately, many tea bags are made with some amount of polypropylene, which is a synthetic polymer that's made from fossil fuels. As you can imagine, this isn't something that's going to break down very well in the compost pile or at all. Um, they also have a tendency to have metal staples to hold the tags onto them, which is probably not something that you want in the compost pile. So either look for compostable tea bags that have no metal or plastic components, or cut open your spent tea bags and at least add the leaves to your compost pile and then just discard the bag. Another maybe is dairy products and cooked foods. Dairy products are high in fats, which slow down the composting process, and it's generally recommended that they be avoided. Plus, there's not much texture to dairy products that would benefit the compost pile. I don't really have a problem with it. I just say don't compost a large amount of them. So adding dry leaves or straw or shredded paper at the same time you're adding the dairy product will help encourage the air pockets, and it kind of makes up for the lack of texture of those products. The issue with cooked foods is kind of the same. Most of the time, they've been cooked with some sort of oil or other fat that may also slow the process of the compost. The fat can create a watertight coating um, around the other materials, and the microorganisms you know, that are responsible for the decomposition, they need air to function, so that waterproof barrier can cause some problems. The other problem is since fats decompose slowly, um, it can attract pests. So if you choose to compost these items, bury them good and deep in the pile to avoid problems and just make sure that you're aerating the pile properly. 
I generally don't have too much of a problem with this. The other maybe is diseased plants um, or plants or grass clippings that have been treated with pesticides and weeds that have seed heads on them. Um, these generally should be avoided unless you know that your compost is getting hot enough during the process to kill off the pathogens and the seeds and degrade the chemicals. And we'll go over that shortly. You do not want to run the risk of the disease surviving to infect your garden plants when you use the compost and the weed seeds sprouting up or the pesticides interfering and killing the beneficial microbes. So what about the no-no list? What items should you not be composting at all? Oils and fats, leftover grease from the pan, that sort of thing, all for the same reasons that I mentioned before. It hinders the composting process and it attracts pests. So the little bit of fats and stuff that are going to be in dairy products and some of the cooked foods is fine, but your actual oils and fats and grease and stuff that are left over, just don't do it. It's never a good idea. Uh, the other one is coal ash. You want to avoid coal ash. Um, it can be toxic to plants. It's got huge amounts of iron and sulfur in them. And you also don't want to use the ash from barbecues uh, because that can be contaminated with the meat fat that you've cooked on the barbecue. Um, speaking of meat fat, meat scraps. You don't want to put those in the compost pile either. They decompose very slowly. They can often start to smell really bad. They can absolutely attract all kinds of pests, vermin, flies. Uh, it can also contain bacteria, which might be a safety issue if your compost pile isn't getting hot enough. Um, and bones should also be avoided too. They decompose very slowly and they just don't generally add anything to your compost pile because they take so long to break down. And finally, the last big no-no is dog poop and cat litter. <laughs> Please avoid manures from any meat-eating animals um, out of basically safety concerns. They can include harmful bacteria and parasites that you really can't do anything about. It's just not a good idea. So back to those maybes. What temperature does your compost pile need to hit in order to kill off plant pathogens and bad bacteria, neutralize chemical pesticides, and render those weed seeds inert? You want your compost pile to reach at least 140 degrees Fahrenheit or 60 Celsius and stay there for at least three days for most weed seeds and pathogens to be destroyed. And some of the seeds may need as long as two weeks at that temperature to be rendered inert. You can check the temperature of your compost by using your soil thermometer and pushing it to the center of your pile to check the temperature. And then you just wanna do this on a daily basis while you're tracking the temperature. Write it down, make sure you count three days. Okay, good. If the temperature begins to drop, then aerate the pile and give it some water to get things moving again. Now with pesticides, it's a little bit tougher. The guideline here is that your pile needs to be turned at least five times in a 15-day period, and the temperature during that time must be maintained between 131 and 170 Fahrenheit, which is 55 to 76.6 Celsius, the whole time, that whole 15-day period. Now, this is quite a job for a backyard composter to keep up with. The reason the pile needs to be turned so frequently is because at that high temperature that's needed to destroy the pesticide residue, the microorganisms that are responsible for healthy compost can also be destroyed. They need the extra oxygen that gets supplied to them by the frequent turning in order to survive. 
That's why it's just generally recommended if you have concerns about the chemical residue that just don't compost anything that's been sprayed. So that's the rundown on compost ingredients, ratios, water and oxygen requirements, and the do's and don'ts for what to add. I guess the whole idea is use the right ingredients in the right ratios, use enough water, give it enough air, and avoid adding things that are detrimental to the pile or to your garden. And if you're a rebel composter, you can absolutely throw everything I just said right out the window and still end up with compost that you can use in your garden. Seriously, you can just throw everything in a pile and ignore it, and next year you'll likely have something that you can put into your garden. But what I talked about today is going to help you get a better quality product faster for sure. So use what you can and don't worry about the rest. It doesn't have to be complicated. Now, Friday, I have a special treat for you. It's our first bonus episode of the year, and it's an interview episode. I will be interviewing Stan the Compost Man Slaughter. He's a compost guru who has written articles for Mother Earth News. He's entertained and educated thousands of people as the eco-troubadour, and he currently works at Missouri Organic Recycling, the company who we purchase our compost from every season. He's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to composting, and he's quite the entertainer. So I hope you'll join me back here on Friday for my very first interview episode. And then we will continue the compost conversation next week when we explore the different types of composting systems and the components that are out there for you to choose from. Lots of good stuff coming, so I'll see you in the garden. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash JustGrowSomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.